All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning because this morning is somewhat of a new morning because we're starting something new. We just finished up the book of James last week. This week, we're starting something new. And as you can see, based on the sermon image, it's called What We Believe. What we believe, what I recognize is when we truly believe something, it changes things about us. See, there's a difference between knowing something and believing something. If I know something, that doesn't necessarily change anything about me, but if I truly believe something, well, then my life changes as a result of what I believe. Now, there's this, uh, it says the creed below that because there's this uh, creed, so to speak, which is, um, just to let you know, a creed is a, a, like a formal statement of what Christians believe. So when I use the word creed, that's what I mean. And there's this um, document or this collection of, of words called the Apostles' Creed. Perhaps you've heard of that before, the Apostles' Creed. And this is a very old creed. It's a very old statement of Christian belief. In fact, people have been saying some form of the Apostles' Creed all the way back to the second century. And the Apostles' Creed, um, from, from my research... Uh, says that it actually started as a baptismal creed. And what I mean by that is that it was something that people had to say they believed in before they actually got baptized. And so when someone would enter into the waters of baptism, before they would actually be dunked under the water in baptism, the person who was administering the baptism or the pastor or whoever would ask the question, Do you believe in God the Father? Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And then the person who was being baptized would respond, yes, I believe. And then they said, do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, so on and so forth. They would say, yes, I believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes, I believe. And so they would affirm their belief through the Apostles' Creed before they were being baptized. But here's what I want us to realize before we dig into a sermon series like this that's looking at the words of the Apostles' Creed is that the Apostles' Creed is not the Bible. Okay? So this isn't a sermon series walking through the Apostles' Creed. This is a sermon series walking through God's Word as it's been organized from the statement of belief in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was created by humans. It's not God's Word. Although what the Apostles' Creed says is true and it's good for us to walk through it because it gives us a statement of what we believe. And it gives us that in a very concise manner. And so perhaps you've been like me. You've been out in the community. You've been at work. You've been with some friends who may not be Christians or you might be with some friends who are brand new Christians and they ask you the question, what is it exactly do you believe? And you know, there's many ways we could answer a question like that. We could say, oh, I believe in uh, God as described in the Bible, or I believe in Jesus, I believe in this or this. And 99.9% and, and, uh, of the time, what we're saying about what we believe is absolutely true. But what the Apostles' Creed does for us, and we're going to read the whole creed together here in just a minute so you can see what it says, but what that does for us is it gives us a 
concise statement about what we actually do believe. And here's what I also recognize. When you get something like a document like this, like the Apostles' Creed, it would be easy for us to just read through these and be like, yeah, yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, I'm good, right? I'm a Christian, I know what I believe, and I'm good to go. But, but what I realize is for us to just say, yeah, I believe in God the Father, sometimes we, we, we don't act like we believe it because it doesn't actually affect our life. It's become knowledge to us, but it's not, uh, you know, it's in my head, so to speak, but it, ha- it hasn't affected my heart, right? And so what does it mean to say that God is our Father? That's what I want to talk about today. God the Father, Almighty the creator of heaven and earth. Because everything that we believe directly affects the way that we live. And so I don't want to just pump you full of knowledge this morning about God being our Father. I want us to leave here with a greater sense of God actually being our Father. Like I look at my dad and say, that's my Father. Right? And so I want us to get a grasp on that today. That's what, that's what my desire is for us as we walk through this Apostles' Creed series together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get um, the slides back up. So we're going to get the slides back up for this because we're going to walk through the entirety of the Apostles' Creed. And what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to just all read it together. Right where you are, you don't have to do anything special, but it's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read it, uh, and then we can read it just together in unison as a statement of Christian belief, okay? So here we go. I'm going to start us, and then you guys just join in, okay? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that with me. That was, that was special. The first part of this creed, like I said, that we're going to look at together this morning is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now as Christians, we believe in this thing, and I know it's very difficult for us to wrap our heads around sometimes, but it's called the Trinity. Perhaps you've heard of it before, the Holy Trinity. And what that means is that we believe in the existence of God in three distinct persons, yet as one God. Glad I could clear that up for you. (laughs) The Trinity is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, like I said, this can be extremely confusing. We're not going to dig too much into 
the, the Trinity part of it this morning as we are going to dig into the person of God the Father this morning. But what's very awesome about this creed is that it addresses each one of those persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go through all of this together. You know, there was a theologian named A.W. Tozer, and he once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This raises the question for us this morning, the question that we're going to hopefully answer, and that is, what comes into your mind when you think about God the Father? What do you believe about God the Father? The way that we answer a question like this changes everything. You know, in this section of the, creed, uh, of the creed, God the Father is described as the creator of heaven and earth. He is described as almighty, and He's described as a Father. And all of those things could be interpreted in so many different ways. But what does it mean when He says He is the Father? What does it mean when it says that He is Almighty? You know, many of us have an image of God in our minds that come from different experiences, from past experiences. And when we hear something like God the Father or God is Father, we can come up with an image of God that is based on our own experiences with fathers. Some of those can be good. Some of those could be very bad. And so since we carry with us this image of what a father is that has been bad, we can take some of those bad characteristics that we've experienced with fathers and then we can apply those to God as father. And that's not true at all. And so hopefully this morning we can all kind of get on the same page. We can all hopefully understand with our minds and with our hearts that God is a good father. And that all of the bad experiences that we may have had with fathers or father figures or the things that we've seen on TVs where fathers are depicted as like lazy um, and just vile, all of those things that society tells us about fathers that are bad, all of those things are not true of God the Father because He is good. And that's what we get to see this morning. And the beautiful thing about all of this is that we don't have to wonder what God the Father is like because He's revealed Himself to us. He has shown us through His Word what He is like. He has revealed Himself to us in the person of Jesus. And so we don't have to wonder, man, I wonder what God the Father is like. We can look into His words and we can say, this is what God is like. And when we see what God the Father is like, and when we come to the realization that He is our Father, that changes things. That changes things. And I'm praying that's what happens this morning. You know, this text that Jesse already read for us, there was a lot of verses there. Don't get nervous, all right? Um, but that was a lot of verses. But it's a very famous story in the Bible. Um, in some Bibles, you'll read it, and it has a little headline before that, and it says the, the parable of the lost son. A parable just means it's a story that Jesus told in order to teach a lesson, okay? And so what we have here is the story of the lost son. Other 
places would call it uh, the story of the prodigal son. So you've probably heard that term before. It's a famous story in the Bible. And a lot of times, if you use the word prodigal at all in any type of conversation, people automatically know you're referring to this story. It's how popular this story is. And so they may not know Jesus. They may not know uh, the God of the Bible. But uh, nine times out of ten, I would say, people have heard the prodigal son before because it carries with it a good message. What I realize, though, is that a lot of times the message that people tend to get from the prodigal son isn't the point that Jesus was actually trying to make to begin with. All right, And we'll understand that as we look at it together. Um, But we learn some things about God the Father through this story of the prodigal son. The first thing we learn about God the Father is this, is that He is wise beyond measure. God the Father is wise beyond measure. Those first two verses says, as Jesus is talking, He said, He also said, a man had two sons. So He's setting the stage for us, okay? You got a man and you got two sons, all right? Uh, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So He distributed the assets to them. So Jesus is telling a story. Who's He telling it to? Is He just writing it down? No, He's got an audience in front of Him that He's talking to And to understand the story, we need to understand the audience. And so Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees and scribes. Pharisees and scribes would have been the religious leaders during the day that Jesus walked on the earth, okay? Um, And they did not like Jesus. And there was a few reasons they didn't like Jesus. One was he claimed to be God. Now, these were supposed to be like the the uppity-ups, the most religious people in the whole world. Jesus comes on the scene. He claims to be God, which He was. They get upset about that. Another reason they didn't like Jesus is because He basically turned their whole world upside down. You see, Jesus was the type of guy, He didn't come looking for Pharisees and scribes. He came looking for sinners. And so He would spend His time with sinners. And he even told the Pharisees and scribes, I didn't come to seek, I came for sinners. And they did not like that. And so as Jesus is telling this story to them, the point that he's trying to get across is that ultimately God rejoices when when those who are lost, those who are, are sinners, repent and turn to him. And he's telling the Pharisees and the scribes, hey, you guys... You're getting upset about all these new people that I'm spending time with who are sinners, who are, who are sick and who are lost and who, who need to be found. You should be rejoicing that these people have come to me. That's the, the point of what Jesus is saying. But as he's saying these things, he gives us this beautiful picture of God the Father. And in these first two verses, we see that God the Father is wise beyond all measure. You see, in this story of the prodigal son or the lost son, we're told that this man, this father, he has two sons, a younger son and an older son. And then the younger son approaches his father and basically says, give me my inheritance. Give it to me right now. Now, when do people typically get an inheritance? It's not while the person is still alive, right? And so what the son, the younger son that is, is 
is saying to the Father is extremely offensive. It would be offensive today. It's, it, it's even more offensive during this time period. And so he's saying, essentially, Father, give me what I believe is owed to me when you die. But I want it today. Because what you have is more important to me than who you are. Your money is more important to me than your love, your affection, and this relationship that we have as father and son. And so basically he's saying, I don't care if you live or die, I want your money and I want it now. Extremely offensive. And so me, you know, I'm a father. How would I react (laughs) if one of my children, any of them, came to me and said, Dad, I want my inheritance today, which he'd probably get nothing. All right, let's be real. Be like, do you mean you want my debt? Because you can have, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I, Dad, I want my inheritance. Gosh, that would infuriate me. And not only, it, there would be a range of emotions. I would be furious on the one hand, and on the other hand, I would be heartbroken. And so you got to imagine that this father feels the same way, right? But what does Scripture say that he actually did? At the very end of uh, of verse 12, he says, so he distributed the assets to them. He gave the son exactly what he wanted. Now, this doesn't sound very wise. So how out of this passage do we get to the point to where we say the father is wise beyond measure? How, How do we bridge that gap? Because what he just did doesn't sound very wise. You gave him the inheritance. You did this. Why would the father do this? Why would he give his son exactly what he was asking for? You know, if we sit here and we say, look, God the father is wise. What's wise about this? There's this pastor named Dr. Kent Hughes. And he said to observers, the father's decision was crazy. But he knew this was the only way his son would learn, if he ever would. Now that puts things in perspective a little bit. What we know about God the Father, just like the creed said, He's the creator of heaven and earth. Just like we, we read, Jesse read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, He formed us from the dust. He breathed His breath of life into us. He has created us. And since God has created us, since God is is the Father, He knows us better than anybody else in this world could ever dream of knowing us. Who, Who would know us better than the very one who created us? And what's so awesome about this is that we say God the Father time and time again, but He's our Father. That changes things a little bit. God the Father is God our Father. And so He knows me. And one characteristic of a loving father is that they don't give their children everything they ask for. I remember growing up and I was in high school and and it seemed like uh, there were some of my friends who had uh, all the clothes that were in style and they had everything that they could have asked for. They had the cars and the trucks and everything and here I was and I didn't have any of that stuff. And I I remember thinking, I wish 
my parents loved me as much as their parents loved them because they're getting everything they want. They're getting everything they ask for. And what I realized later on down the road is that when my dad told me no, it was much harder for him to tell me no than it was for him to open up his wallet and give me what I wanted. And there was a purpose in him telling me no, and it wasn't always because he didn't have the money to give me to get the things that I want. Oftentimes, it was because he was teaching me a lesson as I grew up that this is not what life is all about. And I thank God that he did that. Back then, I did not. But now I do. And you know, sometimes a good father, on the flip side of that, gives us exactly what we think we want because we're stubborn. And sometimes that is the only way we will truly learn about what matters in this life. Good fathers display wisdom in these types of circumstances. And God, our Father, is the epitome or example, the prime example of wisdom. Psalm 147 verse 5 says this, Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. He understands more than we could ever dream of knowing. And when we look at God, we don't and we cannot understand all there is to know about God. We don't know and we can't know all there is to know about God because we are finite beings walking on this earth. We are the creation. He is the Creator. He is God Almighty, as the creed says. And what that means is that He has all the power to do anything He wants to do. I recognize that I do not. And if we as His creation completely understood all that there was to know about God, well then what kind of God would that be in the first place? Doesn't sound like a very big one. Sounds like one I could fit in my pocket. And that's not God at all. Yet there are some things we do know and understand about God that He has revealed to us. And one of the things that God has revealed to us is that He is intimately involved with His creation. Amen? He is intimately involved with His creation. And not only is God the Father, but He is our good Father. He is our good Father. He is wise. And so while things may seem to, to be going in a way that that may not be best for us. Maybe you're going through one of those trials or one of those hard, difficult times through life. God knows exactly what is best for us. He is Almighty. He is the Creator of the universe. He is the Creator of us. And who could know us better than that? And as God's children, looking to our good Father, we can grow in our trust of Him. The next thing we see about God the Father here is that He is compassionate beyond words. So He's wise beyond measure. He is also compassionate beyond words. And then uh, looking at verse 13, it says, Not many days later, this, the younger son, all right, so the one who demanded the inheritance, gathered together all he had. He traveled to a distant country where he squandered 
his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. So he lost it all. There was nothing left of his father's inheritance. He had nothing. And so he had to go to work to survive. It says, then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And as he was feeding the pigs, it said that he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So he, it, things had gotten so bad, he wanted to eat the pig's food in the pig's sty, and people wouldn't even give him that. So he had hit the, the bottom, so to speak, but it was in the pig sty here where it says, he came to his senses, and he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they celebrated. And so in this scene, like we already said, the son has squandered everything. He's taken the inheritance says he went and lived foolishly. He squandered all of his father's inheritance, and he is left with nothing. He's given this awesome job of feeding pigs, um, but he can't even eat the food that the pigs are eating because no one will give it to him. He's literally hit rock bottom. And it says that he comes to his senses. And as he comes to his senses, he begins to formulate this plan of how he could return home. Now, this is interesting because in his plan of returning home, he knows that he has greatly wronged his father. He knows that he has insulted his family. He knows that because he has insulted his father and his family so badly that the entire community knows about it and that in turn, he's insulted them as well. And he knows that if he returns home, it's not just going to be a, hey, I'm sorry, can I get a second chance? But he has to provide something. He has to give restitution for what he's done. This is a severe offense. Uh, and when I say restitution, I mean he has to pay him back. And so that's why he's thinking, well, my father's hired workers. They don't starve. They have more than enough food. I'll return home, but I won't return as a son this time. I'll return as a, as a worker. And then I can work off my debt, but at least I'll have food. And I don't know if you've ever had a difficult conversation with someone before or, or uh, just had to give a speech or anything like that. Typically what happens is I like to see how it's going to play out in my mind. And I'm like, all right, so if this is me and I'm the son, I'm like, all right, dad's going to be livid. Um, but, you know, maybe he'll let me be an apprentice to one of his workers and I can learn a trade and I can work and at least I'll have food. Uh, but gosh, i got to get my speech right. And so he's literally writing 
the speech that he's going to say to the father. I've been there before. I'm like, all right, what am I going to say uh, when, when this happens? And I'm trying to figure it all out. This is what the son's doing in the pigsty. And so he's got his words down, and he's like, I'm going. All right, I'm going. I'm going to do it. And he makes his move. But, but what happens is unexpected. It doesn't happen as he anticipates. Because as he is on the horizon, making his way back to his father's home, his father sees him. And he sees him, sees him from a long ways off, which I think is really cool. Because he looked in the horizon, and it says, you know, a long ways off, he recognized that that was his son. And the father doesn't just wait for him to get there and say, oh, my son's home. Let's see how this goes. He sees him. It says he's filled with compassion, and he takes off running after his son. And it says that when he got to his son, he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And as the son started making his rehearsed speech like we talked about, like, yeah, God, you know, I've, I've sinned and, uh, against you and I want, really just want to be a worker uh, in, in your community here. As he's attempting to give this rehearsed speech, the father shuts him down, interrupts him, and he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Hey, let's get the robe and the ring and the sandals, let's, let's go slaughter that fattened calf because my son's home. And we've got reason to celebrate. Because before this moment, he was dead. He had taken the inheritance and ran, and so he was as good as dead. If he wasn't physically dead, he was dead to them. He was gone. But here he is returning home, and the father says, let's celebrate. And he gives him the best of the best. He says, my son was dead, but is now alive. My son was lost, but now he's found. This is a picture of God the Father. God our Father. God our Father is compassionate. He is compassionate. Just like his father was filled with compassion when he saw his son on the horizon. God the Father is compassionate. Psalm 103.13 says, as a father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. And you know, this is not what we expect to have taken place after the Father had been so wronged before. If I was looking at this situation like I am from the outside, looking at the whole story, we got the whole story here, right? We know what happened, so we don't have to like speculate well, maybe the son wasn't all that bad. We don't have to go there because he, we know what happened. The father was wronged in this situation. And if I'm putting myself in the place of the father, the reaction that I am expecting when I see my son on the horizon who has squandered all of the inheritance that I gave to him, who essentially told me that he wished me dead because he just wanted what I had, the response would have been disdain, Maybe a little anger, maybe a lot of anger, cancellation, and just me raising every charge possible against this son. And that sounds terrible, but that's not what the son experienced. 
That's not what the son experienced at all. Now here, I want us to enter into this story real quick, okay, right here. So, so travel with me. Sometimes we as sinners think that that's the reaction we're going to get from God our Father when we return back to Him in repentance. God, I did that thing again. God, I didn't trust You again. And there's a little bit of shame and guilt that keeps us a distance away. And we're like, if I go back to God with this, He's just going to be so disappointed in me. How can I go back now? When in reality, when we think what we're going to get from God our Father is disdain, what we get instead is admiration. When we think what we're going to get from God our Father is anger or even hatred to a degree, what we get in response is love. When we think that God's just going to cancel us because of all the wrong that we've done, what we get is His approval. And when we think that we're just going to get this huge ledger of debts that we have to pay back and return to Him, instead we get a paper that says paid in full through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, if God wanted us to pay back our own debts, we'd never, we'd never get close to that horizon. Because we can't. But thankfully, Jesus paid the debt for us. And that's what the end of this text shows. God's wise. God's compassionate. And the last one is that God the Father is joyful when we repent and turn to Him. He is joyful when we repent and turn to Him. Verse 25 says, Now his older son was in the field. So we get the older son back into the picture. He hasn't been here for a while, right? At the very beginning, a man had two sons. That's all we knew. Now the older son is into it. And it says, As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he's been working all day. He's probably wondering, What in the world is going on at dad's house? It's music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and he's like, what is going on? It says he questioned what these things meant. And the servant said, your brother is here and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now this would be a moment where we think, man, this this older brother is going to be so excited to see his younger brother and he's going to join in the celebration. It's going to be great. But that's not what happens at all. And this was the point of the story to begin with, what Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and scribes. It's that they're a lot like this older brother. It says, then he became angry. And he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And this is how the father responds. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had 
to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so in this part, we get the older son, the response he has to his brother returning and the celebration taking place is anger. And so many of the religious people who were listening to Jesus tell this story Maybe a light bulb's going off for them and they're realizing, hey, I'm the older son in this story. This isn't good. They didn't like the idea that Jesus came to save sinners and spent time with people outside of their so-called religious realm. And so Jesus was teaching them a lesson. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's us this morning. Maybe that's some of us. Maybe we have that feeling from time to time where, man, God, I've been just like working for you. How am I supposed to Celebrate when this person just comes up and, and, and now they're, they're here. Maybe we have a Pharisee's attitude sometimes. But what we see here is that Jesus teaching us about the Father is this. In verse 28, don't want to miss this. It says, the son became angry and did not want to go in. So what did the father do? His father came out. The son was angry and did not want to go in, so the father came out. Now this is good because this is the second time in this story that we see the father approaching and going after the sinner. You see what I'm getting at here, right? God the Father is approaching and going after sinners. It wasn't because the older son came and found his father. He was in sin, and the Father came out and found Him. And it says that the younger son was on the horizon. He probably didn't even have the eyesight to notice his father was down there, but it says that his father saw him. In both of these instances, we get a picture of God moving towards us as sinners. That is a beautiful picture. And then in verse 31, the second thing is this. His father reminded him of the joy that is experienced when someone who was lost is found. Joy. Sheer joy. The father is wise. The father is compassionate. And the father is joyful when we return to him. And so I want you, as we close this morning... I want to invite you to rest in the question that we started out with. What do you believe God the Father is like? What do you believe God the Father is like? Because it would be easy for me to say, He's probably disappointed because I'm such a sinner. He's probably a little disgusted with me because of the way I've lived my life. He, he probably um, is, is just going to come down on me with, with anger and guilt because of who I am. Um, but what we see here, church, is that's not God the Father. You're being lied to by the enemy if that's how you feel. Because my Father, He's wise and He knows what's best for me. He's compassionate. And His response to me when I repent and turn back to Him is sheer joy. And He restores me 
as His Son. And He restores you as His son and daughter. That's God the Father. That's God the Father. Here's what this means for us. Jesse, you want to come? We're going to close in song. But since the Father, since God our Father is wise beyond measure, since He's compassionate beyond words, and since He is joyful when we return to Him, this means that when we fall into the valley of life that we tend to go into so often, when things seem to be going about as terrible as they could go, which could be some of us right now, when we feel alone and abandoned, that when we turn, our Father is with us. He is right there with us in the valley. And we remember what His embrace feels like. You know, this guy who I follow named Charles Spurgeon, he was a a pastor way, way back in the day. But as he was preaching on this text and talking about God the Father, he says, He seems to stoop from His throne of glory to fall upon the neck of a repentant sinner. God on the neck of a sinner. What a wonderful picture. Can you conceive it? I don't think you can. But if you cannot imagine it, I hope that you will realize it. Here's what else this means for us. This means that when doubt of God's goodness or even doubt of the reality of God in our life creeps its way into our minds, that we can remember the joy that we experienced and the embrace of the Father when we repented of our sin and turned back to Him. And that will lead us to repent again. And then last, this means that when we feel shame, when we feel guilt, and we feel so dirty that we don't even want to dawn the horizon of the Father's home. We feel more at home in a pigsty than we do in God's presence. What we believe about the Father is that He has already moved towards us. And He sees us far before we ever see Him. And it brings Him unmeasurable joy when we repent as He embraces us and we fall into His arms. This is God, our Father. And so when we read the Creed and we say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, we don't have to fall back on these broken images that we have of God the Father based on our experiences with fathers. We can look to God the Father as He is described here. And what a beautiful, beautiful thing it is to have God as our Father. Let me pray for us.